Well, I hope that you've had an incredible and impactful afternoon already because I know I have even running around with my kids and getting things settled. It's just been such an amazing time. Hey, if you've, if you've had a great time already, let me hear a shout or a horn hawk of praise real quick. Yes. I love it. Uh, uh, last night we were doing our Good Friday gathering and I kind of missed the honks. I've gotten so used to the honks and instead we didn't have any cars in front of us, so I didn't have that. But I'm so glad to see all of you here for a slightly different Easter gathering and, uh, and a very special welcome to our online community. We, we wanted to host Easter Sunday, Easter gathering on Sunday morning, obviously, but there's going to be a pretty hefty chance of rain tomorrow, and so we had to switch it over to today. Uh, so for all of you, thank you for being here on sunny Easter Saturday, and for everyone watching online, happy Easter. We're glad that you're joining us as well. So I was praying through the message this week and, and kind of what to say and, and how to say it. And, and in a lot of ways, like an Easter message is simple, yet also kind of complex for a pastor. Um, I can bring the gospel hard and fast. I can talk about the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus any day of the week, honestly. That's, that's the easy part. All of that stuff is fine. That's, that's the easy part. But difficulty comes when you want to step outside the box a little bit. Right, when you don't want to give the standard, stereotypical Easter message. And so I simply asked God this week to kind of guide me and direct me to a passage. And, and I kept coming back to this one specific verse and, and sort of a story that precedes it. And, uh, and after committing to it and diving into it full force, there was something that kept speaking to me and saying, like, I feel like I've done this very recently. I feel like I've, I've talked about this verse not, not too long ago, and so I kind of dug back through my notes, and I realized that I actually used this passage for Easter a year or two ago, and so um, I suppose as I was trying to get outside the box, I kind of went inside the box and made it sort of a standard, but I already had some great notes to pull from, so God is good. Uh, if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is The Resurrection and the Life. If you want to write that down, The Resurrection and the Life. And so... I'm going to go ahead and give you my main thought here right away, and then we're going to go back and discover why it's so important and what this means for you specifically. If you've been at Legacy City for any period of time, you've likely heard this phrase a few times because I say it often. Uh, here it is. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Jesus didn't come just to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And I want you to hear that, church. I want you to hear that. And what I mean by that is, is he wanted to take the areas of your life that are okay and getting worse and make them better. Like if you truly follow God and, and you, you won't, you, there's not going to be anything in you that's like, well, I just kind of gave in to God. Like I'm serving the Lord and I don't necessarily like it. It's not my favorite thing, but I believe so I'm going to go to heaven and that's all good. No, no. If, if you're truly following God, he'll make your life so much better. He's going to make your marriage better. He's going to make your emotions better. Not perfect, mind you, but, but better. Right? He's going to do that for you because he's living within you. In fact, he so desperately wants to take every place in you that is dead and make it alive again. He wants to do that. That's, that's really the message this morning. That's the Easter message. That's the message of Resurrection Sunday. The day we celebrate here on this weekend that God wants to make dead things alive again. And I believe that God wants to make some dead people alive at this drive-in theater even here this sunny, this, this sunny Saturday afternoon. 
And if you don't know anything about the Bible, like I get it, that sounds weird, that sounds odd, that's a little different. Like I'm not dead, I'm alive, I'm sitting in my car right now, I'm listening to you, I'm sitting on my couch right now. I'm listening to you, I'm not dead, I'm alive, but we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about true and absolute life. We're talking about a life beyond what we can see and feel and touch in this particular moment. And so that's been my prayer this entire week is that that God would make dead things alive again. That God would bring the dead back to life. And so let's go ahead and get to the word. Uh, Romans 8.11, this is one of my favorite Easter verses, and it says, it says this. If the, spirit who, uh, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, Jesus being raised from the dead was never intended to be a holiday for you to go like, like wow, that's pretty awesome, Jesus, way to go, happy Easter, let's have some eggs. No, this verse tells us that the same power that raised him, the Holy Spirit, lives in you or is available to you right here, right now, just as in the same way that he raised Jesus from the dead. The same way that that first Easter happened, just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life into every place that's mortal. Your mortal emotion, your mortal marriage, your mortal relationships, your mortal dreams. He says, I want to give life to your dead areas the same way that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and gave him life in that moment. And so the way I'd like to say it is this, that the resurrection of Jesus is offering power to you today to close the gap. All right, we need to close the gap between the life that you are living and the one that you know deep down inside of you that you could be living. We need to begin to close that gap. I recognize um, there's a lot of people watching or listening right now that, that are believers. You're Christians. And, and, and what I'm saying, everything I'm saying right here that you're like, it kind of doesn't apply to me. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I mean, that's exciting and that's fun and that's, that I like that and I, that sounds good and that, that kind of brings me back. But I, but I am a believer, I'm a Christian, and so I recognize that. And so I've been praying for you this week as well. And I pray that, that maybe you are a believer, but maybe that belief is struggling a little bit. Maybe, maybe that belief is, is not quite as strong as it used to be. And I, and I want you to know something, church, it's not because God has moved away from you. Anytime that we feel distant from God, it's because we've moved away from him. And so we need to begin to close that gap, even if you're a believer. If you're a non-believer, that gap is very wide. If you don't know Jesus, that gap is very wide, and there is nothing you can do to bridge that gap until you come to know the Lord. But if you're a Christian and you feel like that gap is widening, then we've got to figure out what are you doing to move away from him, because he's still there. He's still there waiting. He's still there calling. He's still there, and he wants to meet with you. I love what C.S. Lewis uh, said about Easter. It's one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. He said, Easter is death working backwards. And I always like that. It's, he, he says a lot of things that kind of make you think and, and make you scratch your head and wonder what's he talking about. Easter is death working backwards. So instead of going from life to eventually death, which is what we think about in this life, you know, we're born, we grow up, we, we live our lives, and then we die. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he's saying, you can go from whatever is dead back to life. 
And that goes for everyone joining us today. That is available to everyone joining us today. So I just wanted to kind of preface everything with that. If, if you don't know the Lord today, if you don't know Jesus, you can. And he is in the business of bringing dead things to life. If you do know the Lord, but maybe that gap is widening for some reason, he wants to help you close that gap. But now, now, usually for Easter, we talk about the cross. Um, Good Friday, we talk about the cross. We talk about death, burial. Usually Easter, we come back around. We talk about the stone being rolled away. We talk about resurrection. We talk about the power of, 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 of all of that. But today, I want to go about a week or so prior to the cross and the tomb and talk about the story of Lazarus. And this is the passage that God kept bringing back to my mind. And, and it's really one specific verse toward the end of this passage, but, but I think we're going to read the whole story leading up to it. And so this is found in John 11. So if you have your Bible app or your, your physical Bible with you, you can go ahead and get there, John 11. I'm reading out of the ESV version, uh, but you can read out of whatever you feel comfortable with. So we're going to read through this and we're going to talk about it because I think this is crucial to this idea of Easter and resurrection and God's power. And so uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So Bethany, just for a point of reference, was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, it's very close, very, very close in proximity. Um, so that's where Bethany was. It says, uh, verse 2, it was Mary. This is not Jesus' mother, Mary. This, was, this, this Mary was uh, the same Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, uh, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. And so the sisters sent to him. Uh, the sisters decided in this moment, their brother is ill, Lazarus is sick, and so they decided to send for Jesus, and they, they want to let Jesus know, hey, there's, there's this thing going down, he's, he's sick, and, and we, want you to, we want you to come. But, but I don't want you to miss what they tell him, because there's a, there's a biblical point here that gets, sort of gets, gets me excited. And, and, and notice what it says, watch the language. They sent, the sisters sent to him, verse 3, saying, Lord... He whom you love is ill. He, who, he whom you love is ill. Notice what she didn't say. She didn't say, hey, Jesus, the one that loves you is sick. The one that loves you, she didn't say that. She, didn't, she said, the one that you love, Lord, is sick. And I think there's a theological point there, though. I want to make sure that you hear and that you get this 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 afternoon. God is not motivated to help you based on your love for him, but his love for you. In a roundabout way, that's exactly what she's saying. You love him, Lord. He's sick. You, you, you come because you love him, not because he loves you. God is not motivated to help you based on your love for him, but his love for you. He's, he's already motivated whether you love him back or not. Somebody needs to hear that today because you've been doing a lot of things to earn the love of God. You've been putting in the community service hours and, and, and paying your dues. You might even be joining us this weekend because you feel like you've got to be at church on Easter because that's what you're supposed to do. Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day. You're putting in your big three. You feel like you've got to pay your dues. You've got to do your things and you've got to get all the stuff in order and you've got to do all this. But listen to me, you don't need to earn God's love today. You don't need to earn it. He loves you already, and he loves you so much that he doesn't make you earn it. He, he just wants you to accept it. He just wants you to, to take it. 
it's right there for the taking. In fact, let me just summarize the Bible in three words. This, this, this is a, a bold move. Let me just give you three words. Summarize all of Scripture. God is love. That's it. Like we can go home right now because that, that's God is love. Listen, there are more than 400 names for God in the Scripture. He's called Wonderful. He's called Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Creator, Healer, Redeemer. And listen to me, church. He is all of that and more. Okay, but if you ask, tell me, tell me one thing that you know about God to be true in three words or less, my answer would be God is love. That's who he is. That's what he is. He can't be anything but that. Yes, God is powerful. Yes, he is good. Yes, God is life. God is light. There are a thousand other descriptors, and all of those things would be true. But if you said, what is the truest thing about God, it would be this. God is love. And I, and I know... Maybe some of you out there are having a hard time reconciling that right now. How, how can God be love in the midst of coronavirus? How can God be love in the midst of me losing my job? How can God be love in the midst of a marriage falling apart? How can God be love in the midst of my loved ones dying? know that sometimes our experiences can be too real and too painful and so difficult that it's hard for us to actually believe that there is a God. And if there is a God, how could he possibly be good? And listen to me, church, I'm not here to brush that aside. But if that's you, the fact that you are here right now says something about you and about what God is trying to do in your life. One of my favorite uh, pastors and authors, his name, name was A.W. Tozer, said that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is, is literally the most important thing about us. So if love isn't the first thing that comes to mind, we've got the wrong picture of who God is. And church, God doesn't just love you. He, he, listen to me. He doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. You guys understand the difference, right? Everybody has family, so we understand the difference. We love our family. We don't always like our family, right? We love the people that, we get, that, that we're around. We don't always, don't always like those people. I, I feel like that can be true with, with siblings a lot. That can be true with uh, a lot of different situations. But God actually, he doesn't just love us. He actually likes us. He's especially fond of you. How do I know this? Because the, the same guy, John, who said that God is love in 1 John four sixteen, also wrote the gospel that we're, we're reading our story from. And in, earlier in that gospel, in John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God doesn't love us based on who we are. He loves us based on who he is. He loves us, he loves us based on who he is. And, and when you succeed, God says, I love you. And listen to me, when you fail, God says, I love you. When you have doubt, God says, I love you. When you have faith, God says, I love you. It's his answer to everything. God is love. If you have your windows down, yell at the car beside you. Tell him God is love. 
don't get to talk to each other much anymore. We've got, got our windows up and our screens and the masks. And the All right, so let me, get, let me get back to the story. There he is. He's got it. Let me get back to the story. Um, all right, so verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, uh, this illness does not lead to death. Now, it, it's funny because if you know the story, you know Lazarus dies, right? If you know the story, you know he dies. But notice that Jesus says, yeah, but it won't end that way. He may go through something that looks like it's over, but it's not going to stay that way. No, it is for the glory of God. And so you got to catch this. Now, now for God's glory, the reason why he's even been sick, all of this is all for God's glory. He goes on, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In, in other words, I'm going to do something bigger than what you're even asking. Come on, somebody. Don't be afraid to praise God for his truths today. I'm going to do something bigger than you're even asking. You want, it, you want this guy healed? You're going to see a miracle because God's going to be glorified. He goes on, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, which, again, I think is another funny detail because uh, John includes this in the text. And so he says it again. He says one more time, Jesus really loves them. He really has, this isn't just like, this is true affection. He really loves them. And so I just wonder, you know, what is John doing? Why does he want us to understand that? Why does he keep bringing that up? Why does he keep harping on that? He wants us to understand it. And I think the next verse is going to, and I think he lays all this out because the next verse is really going to make it sound like he doesn't actually love them. So it's almost like he's, he's setting you up. Hey, he does love them. He does love them. He does love them. Now, now look what happens. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. My wife and I have two very different ideas uh, of, of, of time. We have two very, our, our, our perception and, and, and how we operate are, are two different ways. She is an on-time person. I'm not. Like, she, she is over-the-top on time. Like, she wants to be five minutes early for a three-hour pop-in event. And I'm like, we can get there an hour and a half in, no big deal. Like that's, we, we kind of operate on different timelines, different timetables. But because of that, I generally am late to things and she is always on time to things. And, and I have to wonder in this situation, in this context when we're reading this, Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill and he stayed two days longer in his current place. He didn't go right away when he could have. Has anybody, I wonder if anybody's ever felt like Jesus has been late in their life. Maybe you feel like God has shown up late. Yeah, maybe, God, you did show up, but you could have shown up a week ago before I lost my job. I don't know if you've ever felt like God was delaying his response. And maybe in doing all of that, you felt like he didn't care that much. Maybe he didn't care about your situation. Maybe you don't doubt that God loves you. Maybe you don't doubt God, that God is love, but you think, you know what, he probably just doesn't care about my little situation. He doesn't care about what I'm going through. But let me tell you something. Some of us, like, we get irritated about how slow God is. Trust me, when I say this, I think sometimes God gets irritated with how slow we are. Like he sees, he, he sees what's going on in your life, and he knows what you're asking him for. And, and, and usually what's happening is, is there's a bigger picture going on in our life that we can't really see with our eyes right now. 
And I believe that God is usually at work developing something in us that's bigger than the need that we actually ask for. And so after he said, I, 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 wish, I, could, I wish we could go on and, and talk more about that, but another day. And so after this, he went on to tell the disciples. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go awaken him. Now, I want you to watch the language Jesus is using because he sees it uh, in a different way than we see it, right? Um, there's, there's just so much that we could talk about, but, but he just says, I'm going to go there and I'm going to wake him up. And watch what the disciples say. This is kind of funny. Uh, verse 12, they, they say to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. He's going to get better. They're saying, if he fell asleep, you guys know what you do when you're sick, right? You, you stay in bed, and you get a lot of sleep, and you drink a lot of fluids. And so they're thinking, well, hey, Jesus, if he's asleep, just let him sleep, and he's going to get better. He's going to recover from the situation. And verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And so Jesus told them plainly. He kind of dumbed it down for them. He said, let me use language that you understand and that you get in this moment. Uh, he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, uh, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, again, this is an interesting detail. I believe everything is put in Scripture for a reason. I believe the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit put things in the Bible on purpose and for a reason. But the Jewish people, they believe that the spirit uh, of a person hovered over the dead body for three days. All right, they believe that three days after the death that, that it would just hover there. And, but then on the fourth day, it would go away and that that person would really be dead. All right, actually dead and gone. Spirit is, is gone at that point. And so Jesus waits until that day to show up and perform a miracle. That's on purpose. That's on purpose. He's trying to show off. He's trying to show who he is, what kind of power he has, and, and that he is the Son of God. So verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, uh, when Martha heard that, that Jesus was coming, She, she ran out to meet him. Sorry, I had two versions there. One translation says she ran out. Another translation says she went out. But either way, I don't, I don't, however you slice it, however you look at it, I think she was excited just at the hope that something could happen. Like, she didn't wait for him to come to the door. She didn't wait for him to come to her. She didn't wait for him to, to knock or ring the doorbell. She said, I'm, I'm coming out to meet you. I'm running out to meet you right where you are because, because I'm excited because you're here and you're Jesus and you have power and you, 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 you can help us in our current situation. But, but Mary remained seated in her house. So Martha went out. Mary remained seated. Again, so much we could talk about there, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's not getting what he's saying. 
Okay, she knows the scripture, she knows the teaching, she knows the prophecy, and she knows what's going on. But she she's not getting what he's saying in this moment. And 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 what he's what what she's thinking is that that he's going to rise again at the end. She's going he's going to rise again on the last day. But he says no, it's not going to happen Sunday. I want you to look at me, church. It's going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen today, right? It can happen right now. The resurrection can happen right this second. You can be saved. He can be saved. And so the next line is so critical. The next line redefines Easter. This next line. I hope you can catch it. There's, ha, there's so much power in this next phrase that he said because he says resurrection is not an event, okay? It's not a holiday. It's not an annual thing that we celebrate. It's a person. Come on, somebody, and you're looking at it. Here's what he says, verse 25. This is the verse that God's continued to bring back to me all week long as I've been looking forward to Easter. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He's letting her know right there and right then who he is, what kind of power he has. He's not a magician. He's not a wizard. He doesn't just, just pull these crazy tricks out of his hat. He is the resurrection and the life. And whatever she thinks he can do, whatever healing power she thinks he has, he has more. Right? Whatever, whatever she thinks that he's going to be able to do in these moments, he can do bigger and better and greater things. He says, like, if you'll lean into me, stuff will happen in your life that you can't even imagine. Like, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying today? Because this is huge. Resurrection is not an event. It's not a holiday. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Church, can I tell you what our fundamental, I believe this is one of our fundamental problems, is that we only celebrate the resurrection once a year. We celebrate it on, on, on Easter Sunday or Easter Saturday in this situation. We celebrate it once a, once a year, and in fact, we should be celebrating it each and every day of our lives. We treat every other day like Jesus is still hanging on the cross, and then we come here on Easter Sunday, and we celebrate, and we, we shout, and we honk our horns, and we lift our praises high because he's resurrected, but then we go back to just thinking of Jesus hanging on the cross. Listen, we should sh celebrate every single day. As if Jesus is resurrected because he is. He is alive. And God is in the resurrection business. He resurrects relationships. He resurrects dreams. He resurrects parts of our personality that died long ago. And he says, I am the resurrection. And then here's what he does. He goes on and he shares the beauty and the simplicity of how to obtain that life. Which is the last verse. Whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me, and he's not asking anybody to pray more. He's not asking you to pray more. He's not asking you to go to church more. He's not asking you to give more. He's not asking you to be more holy. He's just asking you to believe. And if you already believe, believe again. Believe afresh. Believe new. Believe once more. I don't know who this is for today. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I think there's some people in out here that are that are at this place or that are that are listening online that maybe you're on the verge of just giving up. Like this whole Christianity thing is just too hard, it's too difficult. I just don't know. I'm gonna give up. Maybe you've gotten bored. You said, I tried, I tried it, it just didn't work for me. Listen, God just calls you to believe, and through that belief, we'll have eternal life in Him. He says, if you, whoever believes in me, 
though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Just believe again. Give it a chance. Listen, I know the chances are that, that, that you've had a point in your life when you've really had some hope and then life happened, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you got a new job right before all of this stuff began and now you've lost that job. You had hope and then it got taken away, right? Your, your hopes were dashed and ripped out your belief and, and I believe that God put this entire moment together just to get you to have a little peace and belief again. Believe Again, why should we believe? Well, for one thing, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. He woke Lazarus up. A little later in the passage, verse 43, uh, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And guess what? He did. He got up and walked out. Verse, And, and I, we're almost done, and the band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing, and we're going to praise, and it's going to be awesome. But something that I've always loved about this verse, aside from the fact that he literally raised a guy from the dead, come on, he is that powerful. He literally raised him up from the dead. It's that he called his name. He called his, he didn't have to use his name. Do you understand that? He didn't have to use it. He probably didn't even have to speak at all. He's God, right? He could have wiggled, wiggled his nose. He could have he winked his eye. He could have pointed a finger. He could have just thought it and it would have worked. But he called out his name. Somebody might need to hear this today. God knows your name. God knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you. And I want you to hear this. You need a faith with your name on it. Not my name. Not this church's name. Not your parents' name. Not anybody else. You need a faith with your name on it. And he knows your name. While he was hanging on the cross, he was calling out your name. He was dying for you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You specifically, not the person in the car to, you, to your left or to your right, but you specifically, you individually, you especially, he called out your name. He died for you knowing everything you'll ever do, all the sins, all the broken laws, all the bad deeds, all the hurt and the pain that you would cause. He knew all of that and still he died for you. And so I want to make sure before we're done this this afternoon that we have an understanding of the gospel. The gospel is the good news and the good news is this. God made him who, who knew no sin, who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, here's, here's the deal on the table. God says, why don't we transfer your sin, everything you've ever done wrong, let's transfer that to my account. I will pay it in full. And, and when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, it is finished, right? When he, when he said it in the Greek, tetelestai, this is kind of like an accounting term that refers to the last payment of a debt. And listen, this is good news. But this is only half the gospel. He doesn't just pay our sin debt. Here, here's, he, he says, here's the other half. You have to agree to this. I've paid it in full, covered done it's finished but here's the other half you have to accept it you have to accept it i want to transfer the righteousness of christ onto you everything he has ever done right onto your account and then we're going to call it even that sounds like good news to me 
And that is the gospel in a nutshell. Christianity is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has already done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want us to do. Just take a few moments to respond and to pray, to allow the Spirit to speak to us. If you don't know Jesus today, if you know of him, but you don't know him, you know who he is, but you, you don't have a relationship with him, you can change that right here in this field, on your couches, at home. You can, you can change that today because the good news is available for everyone. God is love, and he makes that love available for all. But we have to, we have to come to him. We have to accept that. And so we're going to pray together. And so right where you are, if you'll just bow and, and, and kind of pray and listen to Legacy City Church, nobody prays alone. So we're all going to pray this together. We're all going to uh, pray this together. And if you're a believer, then let this just be a reminder. Let this be a refresher. Let this be uh, just, just something that, that draws you closer to him, that helps you to believe again today. And so we're all going to pray this together. Father, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for knowing my name and for caring about my life. And now I give my life to you. Jesus, you Listen, church, let's give a shout of praise for all decisions that might be made today. Do you need this? And listen to me, church, if you just made that decision for the very first time, there's a place on our website you can go. It's legacycity.church slash drive-in. You have seen it if you're watching online. It's legacycity.church slash live. You can go there and you can fill out a little form that just says, hey, I just made a decision. And somebody's going to reach out to you and contact you. They want to talk to you and pray with you and pray for you and pray over you. God is so good. And you know what? Every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday. I know we, we always say that church should be enjoyed and not endured. And we want to enjoy each and every time we gather together as the people of Christ. And enjoy the time because God is alive. God is love, God is here, God is moving, God is working, and we're going to allow that to continue to happen over these next songs. So why don't you just, wherever you are, get ready to sing and praise because he is here.